Welcome to Stand in the Gap Today with your host, the Honorable Sam Rohrer, President of the American Pastors Network, addressing the most pressing issues impacting our economy, our homes, our churches, our culture, and our daily lives from a biblical and constitutional perspective. Stand in the Gap Today, transforming the culture one heart at a time. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday edition of Stand in the Gap Today, and it's also our bi-monthly focus on Israel, prophecy, and the Middle East. And today, with special guest, returning guest, Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina, and also host of his own radio program entitled Search the Scriptures, which you can find a lot of information on that site at searchthescriptures.org. But before I get into the very critical focus of today's program, and one that you do not want to miss, let me say that the reason that we had to replay a previous program yesterday was due to the fact that in this part of Pennsylvania, we are in the middle of a heavy snowstorm, and it simply was not possible for our staff to make it to the studio. So, Because we do this program live every day, when circumstances align just right, like yesterday, we're glad that we have the ability to re-air a previous Stand in the Gap Today program like we did. But since some of you, you may have wondered when you were listening, am I listening to a program that I had heard before? Well, I can assure you that, in fact, you were. The difference now is that you now know the reason why you were. But we're going to move on from that, but I just thought I'd just let you know because some would have a question. Now, moving to Israel, if you're following news about Israel, public opinion about the war going there, and it's becoming disturbing and unarguable, the public opinion matter, that is, anti-Semitism is building around the world. You can feel it, you can see it in some respects, actually being fueled by people right here in America. For instance, in just this last week, There have been multiple demonstrations of anti-Israel, pro-Hamas demonstrations occurring in large and smaller cities all across America. Academic institutions are giving platform to hate mongers and anti-Christ political leaders who are provoking Americans to hatred of Israel. Just yesterday, for instance, Harvard University, a representative from the United Nations, made a bold and arrogant declaration that Israel had no right to defend herself. Huh, imagine that. Then, from Joe Biden representing the United States to the United Kingdom to United Nations, they're all leveraging Israel to stop defending herself against their Islamic enemies who have all sworn to annihilate Jews and Israel and the United States, by the way. And we here in the United States, our government leaders led by Joe Biden, are threatening to withhold finances and military assistance if Israel doesn't bow. Now, to show just how sweeping and broad this pressure is becoming, just yesterday, the Chinese communist leadership gave Israel an ultimatum. I saw it last night. Amazing. An ultimatum of all things from China to Israel, telling them that as soon as they complete the freeing of a couple of prisoners there, that China is ordering Israel to stop defending herself. What in the world? Yeah, I'm saying that's how broad it is. So the pressure is coming to a head. Now, we addressed this matter about a week ago, how that Israeli leadership, Benjamin Netanyahu and others, simply cannot stop their fight against their enemies, or they will commit political suicide because the people of the country are so adamant. But more than that, if they don't continue, they will, in essence, go ahead and say, slaughter us to their enemies. Now, while there are multiple reasons 
one could explain the hatred for Israel and Jewish people generally, there's one we want to consider today on this program because perhaps unwittingly, even professing Christians, maybe some listening to the program now, could actually be contributing to it. That's right. Now, the title I've chosen for today's very relevant program is this, Replacement Theology and the Consequence of Denying God's Plan for Israel. And with that, I welcome right now to the program Dr. Carl Brogy. Carl, thanks for being back with me. Sam, it's always great to be with you, and I'm especially looking forward to our time and discussing this most critical issue. It really is. And Carl, just because of time, I'm going to shorten down a couple of things I was going to say, because we're going to get into the who, the what, the when. But I'm going to ask you right now, we're going to give conclusions and solutions, ladies and gentlemen, at the end. So listen all the way through. This is a relevant program. Carl, let me go right here. Let's establish this. Let's define. Would you define replacement theology? And while you're at it, identify the top three or four, whatever you want to do, of the most serious consequences of holding to this view of Israel. Well, replacement theology, sometimes you'll hear it marketed as supersessionism, basically says the church has replaced or superseded the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. Uh, you have people like Origen, Augustine, the Roman Catholic Church, a number of Protestant reformers like Luther, Calvin, who embraced it. Modern adherents like Walt Kaiser, Kenneth Gentry, John Piper, Vadi Bauckham, R.C. Sproul, and and a whole lot more, just to name a few. But they basically say that God is done with the people of Israel, that God has replaced his program in salvation history with the body of Christ. And it's a, it's a very, very sad view, but there are some serious consequences to those who hold it. Certainly there's, you know, social, cultural implications. Uh, it, I think in my view, feeds and fosters an anti-Semitic spirit. Certainly when the church is not teaching of God's unique role for Israel, then the salt and light that they should be spreading in protecting the Jewish nation is quickly filled in that vacuum with a spirit of anti-Semitism. So some of these guys I just mentioned, certainly they're not all anti-Semites, but by their disobedience or unbelief in understanding God's role for Israel, they have actually fostered uh, what God has said. And beyond that, there's political implications. Um, God gave a covenant in Genesis 12, 2 and 3, I'll bless those that will bless Israel. I will curse those who don't. And so there's huge implications concerning that. Ligonier Ministries, which would be R.C. Sproul, a, a major proponent of replacement theology, basically said, well, Genesis 12.3 is true. It just doesn't place to, it just doesn't apply to the Jewish people. It applies to the body of Christ because we are the new Israel. And then, of course, there's political implications in terms of a nation. What are they going to do? How are they going to treat the Jewish people? How are they going to view the land of Israel? How do they view the current uh, distress that they're in? And there will be policies based on the way a nation views the Jewish nation as to what they're going to do. And sadly, again, a lot of these policies are anti-Semitic because the spirit of Antichrist that's always been at work is multiplying, it's growing, it's deepening, and we're seeing greater and more profound expressions in our day than we ever have in the history of the church. 
We sure are, Carl, in that regard. And I think everyone listening, as I tried to say, ladies and gentlemen, briefly at the beginning, if you do not sense a congealing of thought, an increasing tempo of hatred toward Israel and the Jewish people, you're not paying attention. It really is building significantly. And we are talking today about one element of that, replacement theology and the consequences of denying God's plan for Israel. When we come back, we're going to talk about the originations of replacement theology. Does your child struggle to learn in a traditional classroom setting? Do you find yourself wishing you could spend more time interacting with and training them in the ways of the Lord? Thousands of parents feel the same way, and that's why they've chosen to educate their children at home. This gives them the tremendous opportunity to not only ensure a biblical worldview education, but to instill Christian values and build stronger relationships along the way. If this sounds like something you're looking for, why not consider BJU Press Homeschool Resources? BJU Press offers a variety of programs tailored to meet your family's needs and accommodate your child's learning style. Their curriculum was created to challenge your child to think biblically and grow in godly wisdom while receiving an academically sound education. They offer traditional homeschool textbooks, online classroom, and distance learning. Take charge of your child's future by using BJU Press materials. Learn more at BJUPress.com. That's BJUPress.com. With a one-minute look at culture from a Christian worldview, I'm John Stone Street with The Point. The clear takeaway from the U.S. Senate's recent hearing, Big Tech and the Child Sexual Exploitation Crisis, is that social media is not safe for children. Senators from both sides of the aisle question social media CEOs about the harms their platforms have caused to kids. Democratic Senator Dick Durbin noted that as early as 2017, law enforcement identified Snapchat as the pedophile's go-to exploitation tool. And Republican Ted Cruz chided Meta-CEO Mark Zuckerberg for Instagram allowing users to view child sexual content. For years, social media companies have claimed that better parental controls would protect children. But a CEO of the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, Don Hawkins, argued the parental controls do not work. They've designed these platforms without parents in mind. The conclusion of all this is obvious. Tech companies cannot and will not, even if they could, protect our kids. So parents have to do that job. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. You're listening to Stand in the Gap today. For more information, visit our website at standinthegapradio.com. While the term replacement theology, which is our theme here today, Dr. Carl Brogy, my guest, and we're entering into a discussion, a conversation relative to this theme, just defined it, replacement theology, or as it's referred to in some sectors as supersessionism, both big words. It can cause some people to just kind of turn it off, ignore it as some idle academic debate, but it really is not. It's not just an academic debate, and it's not certainly idle. The implications are enormous, and they're very broad. However, in simple terms, as Dr. Brogy just defined, the theological interpretation, this interpretation of replacement theology, supersessionism, assumes that Jesus, in a messianic covenant, replaced the earlier Mosaic and Abrahamic covenants, and that God is now done with Israel, actually finished a couple thousand years ago, and that all of his earlier promises to Abraham were suspended, redefined, dropped, and given to the church. 
But on this matter, like most biblical truths of importance, of which this obviously is, two such significant and opposing views both can't be right. Obviously, they both can't be right. So, Carl, let's start now with identifying the cause of this controversy, which produces such enormous consequences, and that is this. When did this concept, replacement theology or supersessionism, when did it first arise and from whom? And if you could describe briefly the circumstances that surrounded it, because it didn't come out of nowhere— Well, it's a deep question. Uh, Some would say the Coptic Church around 100 AD out of, you know, Egypt were responsible. Certainly there are some writings that indicate that. Tertullian, who's, he's out of North Africa, one of the early church fathers, he did a great job defending the orthodoxy of the scriptures related to the doctrine of the Trinity and the deity of Christ. And he lives around 150, but he is already spreading the fact that the church has replaced Israel. Marcion, who lives around 160, he wrote some really harsh things about the Jewish people. Um, And of course, Irenaeus, he lives 180. Uh, I have a quote here I just pulled up. Those who boast themselves as being of the house of Jacob and the people of Israel are disinherited from the grace of God. I suppose maybe one of the most prolific writers, Sam, his name is Origen. He lives around 250 A.D., He uh, began to promote replacement theology because of his principle of interpreting Scripture, an allegorical interpretation. So for him, say, the lost sheep of the house of Israel referred to the church. You got John Chrysostom, who lives around 380, does the same thing. Um, If I asked you um, who said this, I know you would know, but maybe many of our listeners across these hundreds of stations wouldn't know. How hateful to me are the enemies of your scripture. How I wish that you would slay them, the Jews, with your two-edged sword, so that there would be none to oppose your word. Um, the Jews must be allowed to survive, but never to thrive. And so he says they should live, but they should suffer. Of course, St. Augustine said that. He's influenced by Ambrose. And probably St. Augustine did more to promote replacement theology than any other leader in the church, because he sows the seeds for Roman Catholicism. And the Roman Catholic Church took some of Augustine's theology, and they said, well, the church, meaning them, the Roman Catholic Church, is now God's chosen instrument over Israel. Uh, That dogma was reaffirmed in 1965 at Vatican II, and then as recently as 2010 at the Special Synod of Bishops that met in the Middle East, they reaffirmed the same thing. Here's another reformer. He said this, the Jews are rotten and unbending people whose obstinance deserves that they be oppressed without mercy or end and that they die in their misery without the pity of anyone. That was written by John Calvin in his little work called A Response to the Objections of a Certain Jew. And so when you have people who come out of the Reformation and people who want to defend Calvin like he's, you know, a prophet of God, 
Sometimes they ignore some of his gross anti-Semitic statements. Luther, I mean, to our embarrassment, he said their synagogues should be set on fire, their homes should be broken down and destroyed. They should be deprived of their prayer books. Their rabbis should be forbidden to teach under the threat of death. Their passports should be rejected. And then he said, to sum it all up, dear princes and nobles who have Jews in your domains, if this advice of mine does not suit you, then find a better one so that you and we may all be freed of this insufferable devilish burden, the Jews. So you go into Yad Vashem, and these are some of the people like Augustine who are highlighted. And Hitler, of course, quotes Luther in the churches during the Second World War as a theological reason to get the Lutheran church there to oppose uh, the people of Israel. Then in more recent times, you've got these political implications. You've got President Obama, and I think it was in May of 2011, don't quote me on that, where he gave a speech where he said, Israel needs to withdraw from the 1967 borders. The land should be divided up. Uh, the capital, Israel, should be split in two. Um, and that's a, that's a wicked thing to say. Um, Jen Markell, who uh, had, she, in fact, she just did a shout out for you a couple weeks ago on her national broadcast, but she had a guy named Stephen Briggs of Hatikva Films, and he produced a great film called America and the Israel Effect. We've actually showed it at Community Bible Church, and he just gives some serious warnings about those who would seek to divide God's land. And it's all rooted, this political strategy by the United Nations, Western Europe, and the United States, in this whole view of how they should think about Israel. And God warns in the prophet Joel in the third chapter, I just opened there, he says, I will gather all the nations and bring them to the valley of Jehoshaphat. That's the Kidron Valley. Then I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my inheritance Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, and they have divided up my land. And so there's coming a time at the end of the tribulation when God is going to judge the nations of the world. And among the reasons will be those who have persecuted the Jews and have scattered them. And then those who have sought to divide what God calls my land. And so we may think it's a great idea to divide the city of Jerusalem or Judea and Samaria, what we call the West Bank or the Golan Heights, or to give away the Gaza Strip as they did in 2005. But there's no mistake, the Word of God warns under no uncertain terms that those who would seek to divide Israel and oppose Israel will be judged. And really, that's Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats judgment. It's based on how the Gentiles treat the people of Israel. All right, that's an excellent overview, Carl. Let me go back and ask this of you, because you actually gave a good historical flow from way back in the early hundreds to where we are now. But from your study, during that length of time, from you know prior to Augustine to moving through Luther to moving up to the point where we are now, and you name some of the leaders who are involved in it, do you know of any individuals or times when there was anyone who raised a defense during that time against that philosophy or when it came forth did it just completely overshadow the view we're taking of Scripture, where God, you know, obviously, he put Israel aside, he sent them to the nations as judgment, and then he said, I'm going to bring you back. But did anybody during that whole time, as far as you know, actually stand up and say, wait a minute, that's not right? 
Yes, there were. And so there were some great expositors, most of whom are somewhat unknown, some during the time of even the Reformation, largely, say, the Anabaptists, who said, no, this is false theology to say that the church has replaced the nation of Israel. You know, Tommy Ice, who is the president of the pre-trib organization, um, he, I went to a conference, he invited me to a conference last December, and he noted that there's over 500 volumes of the church fathers that have never been translated. And so at this conference, some of these scholars were actually delving into those, and it's a painstaking, loving job for the church and they're highlighting some of these early writers in the second and third centuries who definitively said, no, the church has not replaced Israel. We're just sharing in the blessings of Israel and that, yes, God has fulfilled prophecy and that he scattered the Jews across the planet, but his promises is he'll regather them and Messiah will return and literally rule and reign. But Augustine, who probably is the foremost individual through his allegorizing of scripture, uh, denies the future for Israel, that there's any coming kingdom where the Messiah will literally rule and reign upon the earth. And he presented a distorted view. And of course, Protestants claim him, but Catholics claim him as well. I don't see the Catholic Church really formalized until the Bishop of Rome around 575 um, AD becomes the premier bishop and they start calling him the Pope, though, of course, they would go back to Peter. But Augustine did more. And sadly, his, uh, his writings have been most published. And, but I hope in the next few years that some of these other early writings that I've been exposed to really for the first time in recent months, because they haven't been around that long, we're beginning to learn of all these writers who thought differently. Anyway. Okay. Well, that's excellent. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is what we're discussing application Israel today. Public policies regarding Israel today. The nations of the world are aligning against Israel today. It's not just because of one factor. Ultimately, I'm going to say it's because people don't agree with God. But it's a big deal, and you can't have both sides. Either God's still working with Israel, or he threw them away. When I come back, we're going to go more into the issue of now why this whole theory came about long ago. Are you searching for an alternative to mainstream media news? Are you tired of the liberal bias, secular narrative, and politically correct reporting that dominates the networks? It's time to change the dial and tune in to Stand in the Gap today. Our hosts address the cultural issues with a decidedly Christian worldview perspective, and our guests present unique insights into today's challenges with experience and wisdom taken from the pages of Scripture and an understanding of the Constitution. We want you to understand the times in which we live so you can witness and engage your family and friends with information that will make sense out of the nonsense surrounding us. It's time to turn off the lies and propaganda and turn on the truth. To listen to Stand in the Gap today or any of our other programs, visit our website at standinthegapmedia.org or download our app by searching for it in your app store under Stand in the Gap. Did you know that since 2017, Stand in the Gap's been airing a nationwide weekly television program? Viewers report that they never miss a program. One father shared how he's been using one TV series entitled Principles of National Renewal for his homeschool students' government and economics class. 
What a great way to combine excellent programming with instruction of the next generation about our nation's godly heritage and our biblical civic responsibilities. Whether this issue or any of the wide range of potential themes and subjects, every one of them reflects a thoroughly biblical worldview excellently presented and biblically accurate. You can easily find Stand in the Gap TV across America on such networks as Lighthouse TV, Dove TV, VCY America, most all cable networks, and now internationally on Albanian TV Channel 7. Archived TV programs can also be found on our website at standinthegapmedia.org or on our YouTube channel under Stand in the Gap TV. God is holy, good, and just. Our culture speaks of social justice, but is it the same justice? Knowing the difference requires knowing who God is and how we should live because of who He is. Hello, I'm Sam Rohr with another Stand in the Gap Minute. The words of Deuteronomy 32.4 refer to the Lord as a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is He. When Scripture refers to God as just, it acknowledges Him as the perfect judge who alone defines right and wrong. Now that's justice. True justice produces trust and confidence. With social justice, standards move, definitions change, distrust and doubt result. So if God is holy, good, and just, shouldn't we celebrate and imitate God's definition and expectation for holiness, goodness, and justice? If we'd obey God's word and use his definition of justice, what a difference it would make in our land today. Discover more encouraging resources at AmericanPastorsNetwork.net. You're listening to Stand in the Gap today, discussing the pressing issues facing our culture from a biblical and constitutional perspective. Now let's rejoin our host. If you're just joining us now, we're midpoint in the program. Our theme, Replacement Theology and the Consequences of Denying God's Plan for Israel. Words are carefully chosen because they all mean something. My special guest, Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. He has a program himself, radio program called Search the Scriptures, and a website with a lot of Q&A, very good information on other things there at that site, searchthescriptures.org. Now, the program focus today is a part of our bi-monthly emphasis on Israel, prophecy, and the Middle East. And of course, what we're speaking about, replacement theology, or called supersessionism by some, actually takes the position that when Christ came, that he did away with the Mosaic and Abrahamic covenant, which was to a people and a city and a nation, and put all of that to the church. So therefore, well, for almost for these 2,000 years, as Dr. Brogy explained in the last segment, many famous people have arisen and made the case for why Israel is no longer important to God, and frankly, called for the elimination of Israel. Really, yeah. And so it brings us to this point where we are now. Now, Carl, just like going to a physician, and I use this illustration commonly as we try to address problems and then come up with causes and solutions here on this program, but is this, a good physician will follow the same approach and ask key questions. The goal is to of course, accurately diagnose the problem with the goal, if it's a good physician, of being able to prescribe the correct treatment. Wrong questions or a careless assumption is going to yield a wrong diagnosis, which will likely end up in somebody being more sick, if not dead. Now, for the physician, it also may end up in a malpractice suit for some act of misfeasance or malfeasance for not doing his job properly. 
the Pharisees, ladies and gentlemen, if you recall, asked Jesus questions with regularity. But their goal was not to know the truth. Their goal was entrapment. Jesus turned around and asked questions of them. But it was to highlight the truth and expose sin and selfishness. And that's why we follow this approach often and ask questions. Asking the right questions does lead to the revealing of truth, and that should be the goal. Carl, in the last segment, I tried to determine the when and the who. You went through a lot of that. Now I'd like you to further explore the diagnosis here as we do this, and that is this. Why? Let's go back now to the beginning. Why did those original individuals and others along the line that you called out, why did they insist on saying, God's done with Israel, and it's only the church? What were the motivations? Well, I think first and foremost, again, I want to believe the best since I didn't, I don't know these men. I can't, you know, interview them today. And so I don't want to call them just a bunch of anti-Semites. So I'm going to say first and foremost, it's a hermeneutical issue. Hermeneutics is basically the study of how we interpret scripture. And God admonishes us in 2 Timothy 2, which is a theme verse for search the scriptures, study and show yourself approved of God as a workman who is not ashamed accurately dividing the word of truth. And so we're to do our best to present ourselves as an approved person as we handle Scripture. You read guys like Augustine, and you think, man, what was this guy on? I mean, some bizarre interpretations. And the problem with an allegorical interpretation, we do not literally interpret the Bible. And by a literal interpretation, we're not denying that there are symbols and figures of speech. But once we understand what the symbol means, then we literally believe it. Same with figures of speech, etc. But basically, historically, consistently, you approach the scripture the way Jesus did, the way the apostles did, the way the prophets interacted with one another. And so Daniel, when he's reading Jeremiah, he's in Babylon, how much longer are we going to be here? Well, it's no mystery. He reads Jeremiah 25, 70 years. Oh, the time's almost up. So what's going to happen next, Lord? And so you have Daniel chapter 9. And so they literally applied the scripture. And so when you come to prophecy, um, did God say what he meant? That he meant what he said? Take Zechariah, for instance. How were the prophecies fulfilled concerning the first coming? Literally, uh, the prophet Zechariah in the ninth chapter says, Messiah is going to enter uh, Jerusalem on a donkey. How did he come? On a donkey on Palm Sunday. That the shepherd would be struck and the sheep would flee. Zechariah 13. That's what happened. Matthew 26. The apostles fled. The arrest of Christ. Uh, that uh, one of his disciples would betray him for 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah 11. How is it fulfilled? Literally. Uh, that Messiah would be pierced through. Zechariah 12. John quotes it as being fulfilled at the crucifixion. So when you take the prophecies for the first coming, and they're all of them, over 300 of them literally fulfilled, why would we expect anything different for the second coming? We shouldn't, unless you allegorize scripture. So modern components of replacement theology, they don't deny a literal hermeneutic when it comes to interpreting the scripture, except 
in the realms of biblical prophecy. So you got a guy like Vadi Bakum, love the guy. Um, but, you know, he sees the entire book of Revelation as history, with the exception of the second coming of Christ between chapters 4 and chapter 18. It's called preterism, uh, that it's all taken in the past. R.C. Sproul, he interpreted the uh, Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, 25, as history. It's not history. It's still in the future. You cannot take the words of Christ at plain um, at plain meaning that ne- there's never been a time on the whole earth when it'll be like this unless the time was cut short, no one survived. Look, he, he meant what he said. And so when you come to Zechariah 12, 13, and 14 that deal also with the second coming of Messiah, we should apply it literally, that God will literally put his feet on the Mount of Olives. He'll split it in two, that the Messiah will literally reign from the city of Jerusalem, and John tells us for a thousand years. So it's an issue of how is prophecy fulfilled, how should prophecy be interpreted, and I would say third and foremost to solve the problem is how does God keep covenants? And there are different kinds of covenants, but the Abrahamic covenant was an unconditional covenant that God promised to keep no matter what. Abraham was asleep when God had the animals cut in two. Abraham didn't walk through the animals with the Lord. God alone walked through it saying, this has nothing to do with you and everything to do with me. And the eternal nature is further defined in other passages and even in the Psalms like Psalm 105. So there's other covenants that are conditional aspects of the Mosaic covenant, but the Abrahamic covenant was eternal. It's unconditional. The Davidic covenant some thousand years later, it didn't replace it, just added to it. The new covenant, Jeremiah 31, uh, replaces the Mosaic covenant, but not the Abrahamic or the Davidic covenant. And so um, it's how you interpret scripture. And so to be consistent, You can't just eradicate what God has plainly said. But if you're trying to defend a system of theology, like replacement theology, amillennialism, even the Calvinistic view of election, then you have to spiritualize the passages that deal with the people of Israel. So for Calvin, 9, 10, and 11 of Romans was not about Israel, it was about the church. God electing individuals, Romans 9. No, Romans 9 is dealing with God choosing Israel out of all the nations of the world and so forth. So uh, that's how I would kind of summarize it. All right, that's great. And boy, I could go much deeper, but in the last couple of minutes, I've got to ask you this question before we go into the solutions segment, and that is this. Can you identify more broadly, for instance, where the consequences or the symptoms of this view are evident and actually creating difficulty or ailments within government or within the church at this point, because everything we've talked about works itself out in life. Yes. Yeah. Well, within the church, I would say that this view of Israel has put the church to sleep. You've got people who um, do not really see where we are at this point in human history. And so, you know, again, they sadly, you know, these people who say we, we submit to the authority of Scripture, they did their theology by experience. So it appeared for 18, 1900 years that God had done nothing, that he abandoned Israel. And so based on experience, they said the church has replaced Israel. 
That's experiential theology. Experience should submit itself to the authority of Scripture. And so in so doing, they don't see. Look, God said at the end of time he gathered the Jews from across the planet. He's doing that in our lifetime. He's even multiplied that since uh, October the 7th, as more and more Jews are finally making the return to Israel. It's not by accident. More Jews are living in Israel today than in all the countries of the world put together and more Jews are alive in Israel today than at any other time in all of human history. This is the hand of Almighty God. And so if you don't see that, you don't see what is happening prophetically in our day, and you're asleep. And that's a dangerous place to be. And so they have this false view that there's coming this big revival, and we just need to pray for it. Look, I'm all in favor of revival, and my commitment to evangelism does not change no matter where we are in human history, because that's an obedience issue. But in the end, there's not going to be a revival except during the time of the Great Tribulation, when the greatest in gathering in all of human history will take place. All right. Uh, Boy, we just don't have enough time, ladies and gentlemen, on this one-hour program. And I'll just mention this, but this view, how one views this, if you get into public office, where I was at one point, it will make a difference on those who make decisions about votes and regulations and policies, which we are seeing worked out from this government. So impacts the church and how we view things certainly impacts governmental policies, all of which we're seeing coming together. We'll be back with some solutions in the next segment. For years, faithful Christians formed nonprofit foundations or trusts to preserve their ability to generously give to their favorite causes or ministries, even after their death. The problem? Professional managers, pressure from left-wing agendas, and even family members with opposing views hijacked the original donor intent. This is sad, but true. But this subversion of purpose can be prevented. Hello, I'm Sam Rohr of the American Pastors Network, and I'm glad to recommend Capstone Legacy Foundation in Wayne, Pennsylvania, an experienced and capable Christian community foundation established to help you set up a ministry, a giving structure guaranteed not to be hijacked, or a place you can donate cash or non-cash assets like stocks, bonds, or property Capstone's designed to help you achieve immediate tax savings and give you needed time to decide how to prayerfully allocate your giving. Contact Capstone at 610-688-8890 or visit them at capstonelegacy.org. You're listening to Stand in the Gap today. For more information, visit our website at standinthegapradio.com. Well, as we now move into our final segment... (laughs) We've covered a lot of information, and I would strongly, strongly encourage you to go back and listen to this program again. You can find it on StandInTheGapRadio.com. You can find it on our app. That's how I listen to past programs from my app, Stand In The Gap. Very easy to do, and then you can actually forward it from either place to friends, and I encourage you to do that. And here's the reason, obviously. What is at the forefront of everything that's going on right now? Well, not everything, but at the core of it, it's what's happening in the Middle East with Israel. Don't we see the entire world aligning against or with, well, actually, who's with, right? Israel, the United States, we're currently a friend, quasi, but really it's questionable by what happens and by what's being pushed by this administration. And frankly, past administrations, all of them have sought for a two-state solution, haven't they? Well, that's unbiblical. 
but the anti-Semitism issue we're talking about is developing around the world. And there is something clearly happening. Now, if we understand Scripture properly, prophetically, it makes all of this, which seems to be out of control, to be, well, rather right off the pages of Scripture. But if we don't interpret Scripture appropriately relative to God's plan for Israel, and we embrace this concept of replacement theology as we've gone through today, then it changes everything. We don't really care. Why should anybody care what happens to Israel, right? Why should we care about defending a Jewish person or Jerusalem? Because it's all figurative. That's why it's real, and we have to make a choice. And so, Carl, let me go into it and ask you to conclude here, because we need some solutions for whether we take it from a standpoint of a physician trying to diagnose the sickness and come up with a prescription, or whether we talk about the problem, cause, solution, all of which we've kind of blended today in the program. We need answers. And I want to go here first. Can you prescribe now the solution or the treatment that would heal? Well, you actually identified a couple of major problems in the first segment that have occurred. Just start from there, and then I'll follow up with some secondary follow-up questions. Well, uh, I would be reminded first of the pulpit in America. James says, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that you'll incur a stricter judgment. And so for those of us who fill pulpits across America, the judgment seat of Christ could be a time of great blessing and increased reward if we're faithful to the Word of God. But if we're not, there's gross implications. And so I would just say to any pastor listening to us today, Sam, that if you're teaching replacement theology, if you have adopted the view that God has done with Israel, that he's not going to literally fulfill his promises, think twice. Think about some of the quotations I made from Luther, from Augustine, from Calvin. I'm not judging these men whether or not we'll meet them in heaven, but I am saying that they were grossly mistaken in terms of their theology. And so are you committed to the scripture and to teaching its plain meaning, or are you committed to defending some system of theology? And if I'm right and these people are wrong, there's gross implications at the judgment of the just. And so I would just encourage men in the pulpits to think this through. And sadly, there's a lot of pulpits that won't even address prophecy. And we've discussed that in the past year or so for a multiplicity of reasons. But we're called to teach the whole counsel of Scripture. You cannot ignore God's role with Israel and be faithful to the Word of God. And so there are implications in every realm. You know, we're seeing the spirit of Antichrist at work, maybe like never before. You know, I never would have thought on October the 7th that the acceleration of anti-Semitism would have come out of that, but it obviously has. And uh, history and time in these last few months have shown that. And so you've got all these people who won't call Hamas or Hezbollah as the Houthis as terrorists and anti-Semites. Well, if these folks aren't anti-Semites, I don't know who are. People who cut off hands and limbs and pluck out eyes and burn babies in ovens and the crimes they did are unspeakable. And now they're saying, well, you know, you've, you've taken out enough of them. Leave the rest of them. We would never do that if that happened in America. 
These are people that need to be dealt with justly. That's the nature of just war biblically defined. And so there are major political issues. And, you know, I was glad to see our president. You know, I'm called to pray for our president. I don't like our president. In my view, he's the worst president that's lived in my lifetime. But God doesn't care whether I like him or not. He's called me to pray for him, and I do, and I'm grateful that he has supported Israel to this point, but I sense that it's going to be manipulative in the end, and so now he's putting pressure on the Israelis, and there's never been an army in the history of the world that has done what Netanyahu has done, where they send flyers to the people, hey, you're getting ready to be bombed, flee, get safety, all these precautions they have taken to protect civilians. They're doing all those things, and yet our president is putting pressure, end it, stop it, or, you know, you won't have any more help from us, and this is a terrible thing that's happening. Hmm. And so we've got people listening that are parts of members of churches, and there are mainline churches like the UCC that Obama was a member of, the Mennonite Church USA, and I'm sure there's some good Mennonites still left, Presbyterian Church USA. I don't know that there's any good members left in that church that promote gay marriage. You've got Unitarians, you've got the United Methodist Church, and so many others that push the BDS movement, boycott, divest, and sanction. And they're saying, don't stand behind Israel, oppose Israel. I wouldn't want to be a member of a church like that and give my money to a church like that and then meet the Lord in heaven at the judgment of the just and to say, listen, you you, you should have been a part of a Bible-believing assembly of Christians. So there's some steps that we can all take as believers and we need to take if we're going to have an impact on the world. We, We don't know when the Lord's going to come back, but we do know we're in the final time frame of human history. Even if I knew for sure he was coming in five years, it wouldn't change the fact that I still need to go to work. I need to pay my bills. I need to feed my family, et cetera, et cetera. I don't stop what I'm doing and I don't sit on my hands. I still vote for the best candidate that's going to be supportive of Israel, uh, that's going to support life, that's going to agree with marriage the way God does. Um, It may be the lesser of two evils in some situations, but it doesn't matter. I will give an account for those kinds of decisions that I make that should be guided through Scripture. And boy, you brought us right up to the end. Carl, you started out by saying, The purpose of us being here as salt in life is diluted by this mentality. You only got about 30 seconds, but basically what you're saying right now, occupy till he comes. If we occupy and we understand these things, we will be faithful till he comes and we will be salt and light. So that's what we need to focus upon, isn't it? Amen. We should be sharing the gospel and the average Christian in America no longer shares his faith. There used to be visitation, ministries, churches were aggressive evangelistically. Most Christians in America are now sitting on their hands, and we're wondering why America is going down so fast. Now, listen, I can't control the whole country, but there's one person I can control, and that's myself. And I want to be faithful Hmm. to the Lord to carry his gospel. And that's something we're all commissioned to do if we know Christ. And with that, Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church, thank you so much for being with me today. Ladies and gentlemen, you pick up this program again, listen to it again. A lot of information that you probably have not heard anywhere else, but it's all true. Standinthegapradio.com. And may we all be inspired. Interpret the scripture literally just as it's laid out. 
act upon it, occupy till they come, be faithful in our communication of truth to the lost. God will take up and make up the difference. If you like today's program, tell a friend. You'll also want to hear Stand in the Gap Weekend and watch the nationally syndicated Stand in the Gap TV program. We present the news of the day truthfully, carefully, and consistently from a biblical worldview and constitutional perspective. If you're hungry for the truth, visit StandInTheGapMedia.org to find all our programs and the stations that carry them. While you're there, be sure to download our free app and support this ministry with your best financial gift. Then join us again right here Monday through Friday for another program of Stand in the Gap Today.